Good evening. How's everybody doing? Verse 23. For this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you just as I received it. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. I hope you agree with what Paul is saying here, that what Jesus did for us and for the Corinthians is of monumental importance. I hope you agree with that. Amen. Absolutely. She's heard me teach before. I like those amens. And it has importance to us both in the past, historically. It has importance to us in the present as well yet in our future. And what we're going to do this evening prior to sharing communion together is we're going to look briefly at the Lord's Supper from these three time perspectives. I'm going to go over the past with you. Pastor Neil is going to go through the present, communion in the present. And then Pastor Nilsson's going to come out, and he's actually going to look at communion in the future. Years ago, I ran across a riddle that I thought kind of fit with what I was going to talk about. It says, realistically, I'm always behind you. Ideally, I'm always here to guide you. But if you hold on to me too tightly, I will paralyze and even blind you. Who am I? Now, some of you have heard that riddle before. No, of course, the answer is the past. The past, realistically, is always behind us. Good or bad, we can't change it, can we? We don't have time machines. We can't go back in time. But ideally, the past stands there to guide us if we learn from it. And we can learn from, obviously, both our successes and our failures. But it should be a guidepost to us rather than a hitching post. It's something we look back to and go, wow, I remember that. But it's not something that we're tied up to in the present. That happens to us sometimes, doesn't it? We can't move beyond what's happened to us at some point in the past. And the past becomes a hitching post, literally to the point that it will paralyze and even blind us and obviously affect our relationships. I hope you'll see tonight, and sure you've seen this uh, with me many times before, but the words of Scripture are just as applicable to us in the church today as it was to this group that Paul was addressing in the Corinthian church. The verses that I read actually come on the heels of Paul's rebuke to them in verse 20. In verse 20, he said, It's not the Lord's Supper you're concerned about when you come together. He's pointing out to you that you're there for apparently some kind of different reason. And sadly, that can be the case for us at times too. The Lord's Supper can become like a church ritual. It's just a motion that we go through. 
It's almost like uh, a party, a birthday party that you go to and you really don't even know and maybe even care who the party's for. You're just glad to be there to celebrate with all your friends. Okay, show of hands, who's actually done that before? Okay, a few of us. But communion has to be so much more for us than that. It's just not a time that we come together and have fellowship. It's an important thing for us historically to look back at its significance in terms of what Christ did for us. Tonight, in our celebration of the Lord's Supper, just as every time we celebrate it, we need to see how important it is. Not just for the Corinthians, but for us personally. Let's not lose sight of what Christ accomplished. I want to read a few verses to you out of Hebrews, and you can turn there if you would like, uh, chapter 9. But I'm reading from verse 12. Verse 12, it says, Once for all time he took blood into the most holy place, not the blood of goats and calves. He took his own blood, and with it he secured our salvation forever. Obviously, the writer speaking of Jesus. And he goes on to say that under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ritual defilement. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our hearts from deeds that lead to death so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who meditates the new covenant between God and people, so that all who are invited can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. Last verse. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins that they had committed under the first covenant. Wow, that's a powerful reminder of what historically Christ did for us. And the significance of this time that we have together in taking these elements in communion. Let me just highlight them for you. He took his own blood. That's significant. Christ gave himself the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. The passage says that he purifies our hearts from our deeds that lead to death. They weren't his deeds that led to his death. They were our deeds, my deeds. He died to set us free from the penalty of those sins that we committed under that first covenant. And then it said he mediated a new covenant between God and us, but not based on the law this time, but rather based on God's love. That's the new covenant. And the great question why is answered in this passage too so that all who are invited can receive the internal inheritance God promised them, and we can worship the living God. Do I hear any of those amens again? But let's admit it. We get complacent in our faith. We show up to a communion service at times, just going through the motions. In fact, often after we've been Christians for some time, we talk about being saved. We'll just kind of throw that out there. Yeah, I got saved about 10 years ago or whatever your number is. And we forget the significance of what we've been saved from. 
Jesus saved me. He saved you from eternal damnation in hell. That's significant. Amen. Absolutely. I saw a church marquee one time, those outside signs. And it said, I was going to waste, but Jesus recycled me. That's me. Jesus recycled me. Let's not let complacency in our Christianity creep in to this time tonight. I'll admit it. It's happened to me before. It's been a long day. Just showed up. Well, we're here for communion. Take the cup, take the cracker, and you go home. Just the end of another long day. But let us remember what Christ has done for us. Paul finishes this passage that I read to you by saying that we are announcing, or in some translations, maybe your translation, it says we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. So which is it? Are we proclaiming that to ourselves and to the world around? Or are we just going through the motions? Let's hear from Pastor Neil. Good evening. As you can tell, we have a uh, rotation this evening, uh, hopefully for your benefit. And again, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 11, considering communion from the perspective of the present. And here we consider verse 26, which reads, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup. Notice that the text says, as often as you, not if you. And here the Holy Spirit, through Paul, affirms an expectation that God has of us to obey the command that he gave us to do this very thing in gathering to share this meal. In fact, this meal was instituted when Jesus shared Passover with the twelve just before his sentencing. You don't have to turn there, but in Luke 22, we read the account. In verse 19, it says, And Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And here we find ourselves this evening, almost 2,000 years later, in exact obedience to the Scriptures, remembering our Savior in the manner in which He prescribed. Which brings me to a few considerations. And that consideration would be, what does the Lord's Supper presently mean to us tonight? You might ask it this way, why do we do this in order to remember him. Well, the first reason is that as we share communion this evening, it's an affirmation of what we believe about our Savior. Much is often sought out by those who might enter a church for the first time, wanting to discover what exactly that church believes that can be found in that church's statement of faith. In fact, we often have people who come to the church maybe for the first time on a Sunday morning asking us at the front desk if we have something to hand out to them that would indicate our statement of faith. But on a night like this, when these elements, the bread and the wine, are placed at the table and we 
gather before it as we have, what we're doing is declaring to the world our firm belief that Jesus, the Son of God, descended from heaven, became a man, and died for our sins upon the cross. And perhaps there is no greater statement of faith, perhaps there's no more clear statement of faith that we could make to others as to what we believe about our Savior. It's on a night like this that we memorialize our conviction. In the event that has had the greatest implication, not only upon our lives, but upon the lives of every single man and woman for all time. You know, were it not for memorials, men would perhaps grow dull in their remembrance of something significant or even perhaps forget the event altogether. But one of the reasons Jesus asked us to do this often, in fact, commanded us that we do this often, was that we remember and that we affirm our belief so that we as Christians may never forget what he has done for us, that we would never grow dull in viewing our lives in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. So we do this to affirm what we believe about our Savior. We also do this as a symbolic representation of our Savior's nature. Much is made in our culture of status symbols. And status symbols often involve materialism. Perhaps they're most frequently fleshly indicators that we want to use in order to project a message to an observing world that they might have some kind of indication as to who we are or what we are. We want them to know something about us by use of status symbols. What is our status as a Christian? Our status is forgiven. What's the symbol? It's the Lord's Supper. Christian, that's the only status symbol that matters at all to us. It's the only one we should be preoccupied with. And so here we come in a very simple manner, discovering God's appointed way of representing or symbolizing to us and to onlookers the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. On an evening like this, you could look at this as the Christian's show. Tonight we show the death of Christ here by divine appointment, by Christ's command. We set forth the bread of life to the sons of men. Tonight you're going to show that fact. When you see those trays uncovered, you will see Christ's prescribed representation. We can look at it as if God made fat things available to the sons of men in the person of Jesus Christ. And this feast consists of bread and wine. And in this bread and wine is represented Christ's human person. Christ's humanity. The fact that he's no myth is represented by the bread that he came in the flesh. The fact that he was no phantom is represented by the wine and that he shed real blood for our sins. And tonight we represent that fact that God became a man for us and died for our sins. And finally, the reason we do this is because it's a declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. 
especially in our day and age, much is made of a person and their mission statement or a company's mission statement. When we want to find out their mission statement, we want to find out what's the thing that gets their heart racing. What is it that gets their blood pumping through their veins? What gets them up in the morning? What's their reason for living? What's their purpose for doing what it is that they do? And again, on a night like this, we show forth, we make manifest, we promote, we publish, we call to attention, we advertise to the world the only means of forgiveness. The moment we gather around the table, we hold the elements in our hands, and an unbeliever looks upon us and says, what do you mean by doing this? Our answer, our only answer is, by doing this, we set forth to you that Jesus died for your sins and for the sins of the world. We have a glorified Savior. But don't forget that we also have a crucified Savior. And we as His church are not ashamed of our crucified Savior. We're told in the Scriptures that we preach a message of Christ and Him crucified. For it is here, after all, that the salvation of the sinner is found. So first and foremost, to a dying world... It is Christ upon the cross that we first have to declare. So therefore, as we've gathered at the communion table tonight, we do three things. We assert the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and we affirm our belief in that fact. We represent that fact symbolically, showing that a real man died to satisfy our deepest Needs and our deepest longings. And finally, we publicly bring it to the attention of all men. We desire the world to observe this. We call them to mark this event. And we tell them that represented in what we're doing tonight is the very sum and the substance of the entire gospel that we were sent to preach to them. And that message is that God has set forth Christ to be a propitiation for our sins. You may have wondered, why is it that we gather here tonight? Beloved, that's exactly why we gather here tonight. And in gathering here tonight, in this present moment, this act indicates for us a future glory that we will share with the Lord. And to tell you a little bit more about that, I now introduce Pastor Nelson Walker. So, Father, open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. I'm going to camp on the same verse. For as often as you eat this bread, as often as you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. That verse switches tenses. As often as you do this, present tense today, you do show the Lord's death, past tense, what he did, until he comes, future tense, what he will do. In the past, we're looking at forgiveness. The biblical word is justification, just as if you never sinned. The scripture says that 
Paul delivered to us that which he first received, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third days according to the Scriptures. And because of that, we are justified, just as if we have never sinned. We receive him as our Savior, and all our sins are washed away. In the past, there is forgiveness. All sins wiped away forever. Not just the point to where I come to Christ and now somehow I have to pay for them because he forgave me, but now I blew it. No, all sins, past, present, future, wiped away. It's called judicial justification. You are now the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All sins have been laid on him. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet there is another part of justification known as parental. How many of you have kids? How many of you have been kids? How many of you have been corrected? Yeah. Okay. Hebrew says that God disciplines us when we go astray. I have kids. I love them. They're always my kids. But sometimes... God loves you. You are justified. You are always His child. But sometimes... Hebrews says he must discipline us to bring us back in line. It doesn't change our standing in salvation. It changes our relationship and fellowship. But God will bring you back. He has his ways. Present. You do as often as you do this. This is present tense. Sanctification would be the word. In the past, there is forgiveness. There's justification. In the present, there is fellowship. That is sanctification. As often as you. In the Greek, it's y'all. Or for the Texans, like Dave, it's all y'alls. A couple of Texans in here. They understood that. As often as all y'alls do this, you're in fellowship one with another. You are sanctified. Sanctified is a word that means set apart. In the Old Testament, you had the temple. In the temple, they had cups, saucers, knives, forks, utensils used to worship God. You had cups, saucers, knives, and forks at home, but they, were, they might have been the same. But they weren't set apart. The ones in the temple were set apart. And so God says that you have been set apart. You now have the treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency and the power is of God. Not of us. And so we are set apart for service. As the instruments in the temple were for the service of God, so the instruments, our vessels, are possessed for the service of God. To glorify God in our mortal bodies. And so we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For God works in us to energize us to do so. We worship Him. We edify one another. And we evangelize the lost. That is sanctification, which leads us to you do show the Lord's death until he comes. That's the future. Past forgiveness, justification, present fellowship, sanctification, future, the fulfillment called glorification in the moment in the twinkling of an eye for the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain when the trump of God sounds shall be caught up to be with him and the Lord. This mortal will put on immortality. This body of sin will put on a glorified body like my Savior's. There will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sickness. David would say, why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? And he would lament. Does anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes this world is ugly. Sometimes it hurts. 
But there is coming a day when all wrongs will be made right. When all tears will be wiped away. Someone says, where's the justice? It's at the beam of seat for the believer and the great white throne for the unbeliever. So Jesus would say, Father, I would that those you have given me in John 17 would see me in my glory. Now, a little side note here. This is a rabbit trail. For those who know me, I like rabbit trails. In Isaiah 42, God says, my glory I will never share with another. And yet Jesus says, I shared that glory. So things equal to the same things are equal to each other. For those of you into occult apologetics, this is known as comparative attributes, proving the deity of Jesus Christ. Back on track. Father, I would that they would see me in my glory. And there is coming a day when this mortality puts on immortality. We see him in his glory. Let me kind of take a Old Testament book and summarize it. It's called the Song of Solomon. Now, I'm not going to talk about all of it, obviously. But there's one theme. Solomon was the greatest king in terms of prosperity that the kingdom had ever known. And Solomon wanted to do one of these prince and pauper things. He dressed himself as a shepherd, a lowly shepherd, it says. And he decided to go out on the countryside and check it out without anyone knowing who he was. And he ran into this lady called a Shulamite maiden. Shulamite being her nationality. She was Jewish in her practice, but she had come from this background. And he fell in love with her. She was a farm worker. She worked in the fields. And he started to woo her, and she falls in love with him, and he falls in love with her, and these love letters are going back and forth. And then he says, I must go, but I'm going to come back. And then we'll get married. I'm summarizing a whole book now. And he disappears. And then there's this, have you seen my beloved? Have you seen him? I know he's near. I can smell his cologne. He, she uses other terms, but that's what it means. And then one day as she's back in the field working, there's all this pomp and glory and a parade. And, and Solomon is coming. King Solomon, oh, is this? my heart belongs to the shepherd. Summoned into the king's presence. She sees that the shepherd is actually the king in all his glory. Come away with me, my love, he says. Come away, come away. And in that trumpet sound, I can hear the voice of Jesus saying, Come away with me, my love. For he told his disciples during communion in Matthew 26, I will never again drink of the cup or the fruit of the vine until I do so anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when he says, come away with me, my love, we go to the wedding feast and he raises the cup to my bride. And we shall once again take the cup. So we look past at forgiveness. We look around at our fellowship and we look forward to our future. All wrongs will be made right as we sit at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now a warning. The passage continues. He that eats and drinks of this cup in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. What does that mean, unworthy manner? Well, there are a couple of different meanings, but let me just touch on one shade here. None of us are worthy, for all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so none of us in and of ourselves can say, I am worthy, yes, let me partake. For this represents the death of our Savior. 
the only way we are worthy is if we come to him and acknowledge him as Lord and say, Jesus, save me. My ear is not deaf that I cannot hear, says God. My arm is not short that I cannot save, but your sins have separated you from me. The only solution to sin is that it must be paid for. And since I cannot pay it, I must come to the one who paid it for me. Jesus on the cross took the sins of the world on himself. And he offers me an exchange that he would become sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then I am worthy to partake. So there might be some here who have not come to that knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I would say for those of you who do not know the Lord, you know who you are. God has put eternity in your heart. You know what it's like when your head is on the pillow at night and there's a loneliness and a longing for something more. God is calling you home. He's calling you into relationship with him, into fulfillment, joy unspeakable. Tribulation and trials also, yes. But peace that passes understanding. 